Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. And welcome to the Hopcast Book Show, show number 44. And that might be how many people we've murdered in the last year. Well, we'll be mentioning why we're saying asking that question. <laughs> it's not just random. <laughs> no, it isn't random. Uh, a little bit later in the show. But I guess this week is Linda Huber, a Hobeck author, and her second novel with us is coming out uh, on Tuesday. Tomorrow, actually. Yeah, day after this podcast is released. And that is called... Pact of Silence. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really gripping well, psychological thriller again. It really really messes with your mind at times oh absolutely and one of the reviewers said the other day she said um that she just can't stop thinking about it after she finished it and i had the same sort of response it's uh, it's very thought-provoking and our interview is we, we get quite deep don't we into the subject yeah we do we do uh, let's put it this way it involves childhood and so we reflect on our own yeah and even after we finished recording i was sat in the kitchen and i was thinking of all sorts of you know just aspects of childhood memory and and yeah, anyway, you'll, <laughs> it'll make sense. It will all make sense, let's hope, a little bit later in the Hobcast book show. Well, what is the Hobcast? It is the podcast arm of Hobeck Books. We are UK independent publishers of the following genres, if I can remember them all. Yes, you can. Crime. Suspense. Mystery. And thrillers. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I seem to be having short-term memory loss this week. Um, it's been, yeah, it's one of those things. Well, senior we... moments, they call them. Yeah, I've had a one of <laughs> senior moments, it has to be said. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about this week. Uh, we'll delve into the news in just a second. Uh, but it has been, you know, as ever, this podcast is about how we run Hobbit Books and the creative process and also the business side of publishing as a small independent publisher. And balancing life and work together because we work, you know, Hobbit Towers is our home and our workplace so. it is it isn't actually on that front on the home front let's it would be remiss of me uh not to wish your son toby a happy 12th birthday today as we record this yeah so yes yeah, so as we're recording toby my youngest son is enjoying his 12th birthday and he was born at five to four so i think he is now officially 12 excellent and also it's your son luke's 18th birthday yes on so Tuesday. The day after this podcast goes, yes, Luke will be 18. I cannot believe I have an adult. So when people say, how many children do you have? I'll have to say one adult and two children now. Yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have an adult. I just can't. No, it's not right. No, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's something. Right. Well, let's get into the news. And there's quite a lot of significant publishing news yes. uh, this week, uh, particularly around the audiobook um, side of things. And it, this sort of landed softly this week but i think it's going to be one of the biggest changes in the audiobook market ever um and no, that, that's huge it is huge and the full implications of it are not yet uh known also the deal hasn't been finalized but 
it has become clear that Findaway Voices, who we use to distribute our audiobooks to 43 different retailers, has been bought by Spotify. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Because I associate Spotify with uh, music that we play in the car. Yeah. Well, increasingly, they've been moving into the spoken word um, area. And now this acquisition of Findaway Voices gives them access potentially to huge numbers of audiobooks. Because Findaway have uh, basically disrupted the market already in the last couple of years by offering better royalty rates than Audible. And also many, many more retailers. If you sign up for ACX, which is the Audible Creative Exchange, and publish your books through them, there's only three platforms that you're published on. And that's Apple Books and um, and also, obviously, Audible and uh, A and other I can't remember. But the point is that most of the revenue comes from uh, those credits that people buy. Mm. Uh, and sometimes, very rarely, people will pay full price for their, for their audiobook. But what Findaway have done is not only can you get onto Audible with them, but you get 42 other retailers. I was going to say, there's a lot out there, aren't there? Yeah, but the biggest earner for us so far has proven to be library lending. Yes, I've noticed that too. So, that, And that is very interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if uh, people associate audiobooks with library so much. No, but you can. I mean, in America, it's a common thing that yeah. you, can, you can borrow audiobooks and um, you know we get, we get a credit for that. So... That is that is the current sort of model that most of them are using. But gradually, there's a shift towards streaming of audiobooks. Now, this will uh, alarm quite a number of publishers and authors because uh, traditionally you hear musicians moaning about the fact that, I mean, t- um, Taylor Swift has taken a stance against Spotify, for instance, by refusing to have her music on the platform for years. But the bottom line is they don't pay anything like the amount that you no. would get if you bought the album. And so their royalty rates are low. Now, if that's the case for audiobooks, then revenue streams could... There's two ways of looking at it. The actual overall amount per listen Mm. presumably will go down considerably. But the other positive thing is that Spotify's um, discoverability, the fact that you can go into that platform, find your audiobook, and then listen to it... That's true. ...is miles better than what's on offer from Amazon. Because if you go on the app for Amazon, you have to go out go to website version of Amazon to be able to download the credit to use on Audible. And Audible, you can't shop at all. No, that's very true. And it is a bit of a faff when you're doing it. Yeah. So it will be, for discoverability and for ease of use, a big step forward. But potentially it could, you know, the actual value of your audiobook will drop. Um, Now, this is also followed by news that uh, we looked at that. So there's not much news on that apart from it's got to go through the regulators. Yeah, so it's in the early days, isn't it? It's just sort of announced. So So, but they're hoping to have it all sorted out by the the new year. Uh, Storytel, another streaming company, has just signed a deal to acquire audiobooks.com for $135 million. So uh, that's a really big deal. Um, audiobooks.com is a growing audiobook platform in the US and UK and part of the same media stable as the UK's WF House Limited. Who, so that's where our connection comes in, doesn't it? I've, I've recorded five books for WF House over the, over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, it's going to be disruptive again because their model is streaming rather than subscription in terms of you know, using a credit system. So do you think it's actually moving that way? Absolutely, 100%. Um, I think this has been mooted for, for some time, but now mm. with two massive deals going through in the same week, 
that is a huge shift in that. I mean, basically, all all audiobooks are going to be basically accessed through streaming. So does that mean it's like Netflix and things yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the question is, what do the content creators, the narrators and the writers and the publishers get back? What is the what is the remuneration rate? Would it have to be a flat fee instead of royalties then? Well, I mean, at the moment it is kind of a, not a, I suppose, yes, royalties are slightly different from flat fee, but uh, I don't know. No. I mean, they're not, there's no one saying what, what you might get paid, but, you know, it's going to be pence per hour. I'm just thinking about something like Netflix is, so when somebody, when they commission a new series or a film, they don't get paid royalties on, based on viewing, do they? No. No, they don't. I mean, that's. Famously, the Squid Game exactly. says he's not got rich out of it, even though it's the most valuable property Netflix have ever had. Um, no, I mean, but the, 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 here's the difference: is they've bought these companies, and the bottom line is that the content these companies already distribute, we've already signed contracts with Findaway mm. to distribute, and that's a very different proposition. You mean we should have the right of refusal uh, as to whether it's going to appear on this new? platform mm, i don't uh, know organization so you'd have to look at the well i mean you know uh, fine tr- print. i mean where well we don't know i mean the, the fact is that um as content creators we have to organize which is almost impossible to do uh to make sure that our interests are looked after because mm. i think that you know the 250 odd million dollars they bought find away voices for and another 135 spent by audiobook.com or storytell so- buying audiobook.com um, suggests that, you know, they think they're getting some substantial assets. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. Um, and they, they can they can make a squeeze out of it. But the, the people who need to be remembered are, are the people who make the content. Mm, absolutely. And, that, and it follows on from what we were discussing last week about AI narration of books, which is all very well. But it is no substitute for the human voice. Perhaps that's what they're thinking. They're thinking far in, a little bit far into the future, sort of medium to long term, and thinking that eventually it'll be all AI. So they don't have to worry about paying narrators. Well, that'll be one part of it, but you still have to pay the, the rights holders for the access to the books. True, but it's not quite so significant, is it? No. Especially if you offer them a flat fee. Well, yes. I mean, you know, I know of. Well, Adam Croft, for instance, a friend of the program, um, ha- has recently sold, indeed I did, the last Night in Carver House book under the aegis of W.F. Howes, having done three previously, um, because they bought his rights from him, his exactly. audiobook rights. Uh, I don't know how much for it. It's not for me to find out. But, um, you know, you've got to think it's going to be a four-figure sum. Mm, it's got to be worth it to the, to the rights holder, isn't well, it? Well, so... you know, it might, it might very well you know, be a good thing. I mean, if you knew that for every audiobook you did, you got two grand, mm. um, then you, you know. Then it's worth it. In, well, just about. In, I mean, and, and, and a small amount of residual. Mm. That might be worth it, but um, it's still not much because there's a lot of effort and creative energy goes in. I mean, I've spent all week either recording or editing, pretty much. That's been my main job all, all week, and I've spent hours and hours doing it. Um, marathon cross-eyed <laughs> <laughs> sessions of editing. Um which just take forever. And, you know, I want to be paid for it, frankly. I'm not having this through the back door, our books disappearing into that thing, unless the money's right. I suppose you've got to balance it out there, haven't you? Because if they do offer you a flat fee for each um, each title that, that we create as an audio book, 
if it if you work out you know splitting with the author as well and all that sort of thing instead of a royalty amount is it worth it and i think it, it might be it might be that well it have to be a sig- significant actually 2000 i think is cheap so i think it's going to be more than that yeah because there's no margin then at all no okay once you split it with the author so um anyway we, interesting we just have to see what the future well 2022 yeah. is going to be a very significant shift in the in the audiobook market and i think it's going to frighten a lot of the traditional publishers over here who have generally speaking relied on big fat rates for audiobooks you mm. know, the, the sort of 30 pounds for a 10-hour production kind of rate um for library lending or something like that i mean you know no one's really been paying that for a long time because you've got your audio but your your credit is worth seven pounds 99 in the uk uh, audible yeah i mean i'm a perfect example i've i've never bought an audiobook i just buy one a month on my credit yeah anyway those are big shifts um we have uh to mark the passing of one of the true legends and one of the greats of modern popular fiction we do and it was it was only yesterday as we record so uh, 13th of november wilbur smith um who's very well known for his action adventure books um it's mostly set in Africa, is that right? A lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah he... a lot of them. You know, if you go into a, into a Waterstones and look at the covers, you know, there'll be a picture of an elephant or, uh, you know, the, the, the pyramids or something. I mean, he was uh, lived in Cape Town uh, and South African, I believe. Um, yes, that's right. And um, he apparently wrote 49 novels, all in all. Yeah, he is, was incredibly prolific. That's quite amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I can picture the covers. I think they're quite iconic, aren't they? The mm-hmm. sort of design of his covers and yeah. And then when we released Hunted and um, uh, Endangered is the next book by Anthony Dunford, we were thinking of you know how do we? I mean, Wilbur Smith is the brand leader in that sort of African adventure fiction, which is exactly what Anthony's been writing. Mm. Um, and I mean, he's given a lot back as well, several awards in his name. Yes, in fact, yeah, we nominated Anthony for a Wilbur Smith Award. So, yeah, he, he was 88, though, but it was quite sudden, apparently. So mm, Sad. I mean, yeah. he, he made a little, judging by the fact he owned an island in the Seychelles. I know. Yeah, so I've just been reading up about, um, you know, what Wilbur Smith's life, and I, <laughs> I just went, oh, he had an island in the Seychelles, lucky man. He sold a few copies then. <laughs> I'm sure the translation rights were pretty generous as well. I can tell you exactly how many copies he sold. 140 million worldwide. Okay, that buys you an island. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a, it, it's a fantastic legacy, and um, you know he really defined. I suppose, you know, um, if you're sort of following on from the the sort of Tarzan novels and all mm. that sort of thing, that sort of feeling of the there were lots of books like you know Born Free and whatever set in Africa. It was very very fashionable. As it he really was. Writing. Yeah. So when we were 50s, 60s, when we were young, early seventies, exactly, because I can remember seeing his novels in the house and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It sort of spurned uh, an interest in that sort of adventure novel. Yeah. In that setting. So, yeah, he, he had quite a legacy. He, he really did. Well, um, you know, we, our thoughts are with his family and uh, we pay tribute to his incredible achievements. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, let's get to our interview. Yes, we ought to. I'll speak to Linda. Linda Huber Linda. from her, um, her uh, apartment. Overlooking Looking out the, over the lake. Lake Constance in, um, in Switzerland beautiful spot uh originally from scotland uh linda has specialized uh, particularly in uh, psychological thrillers but also some cozy and yeah and, she, and she, warmer fiction she dips well. her toes in lots of different things doesn't she and as she explains she's um she's having a bit of downtime from the darker side of life <laughs> uh, because pact of silence uh latest novel which comes out from us uh, on tuesday 
is, well... It is the darker side of life. It really is. And it deals with some very, very delicate subjects, but we'll let her explain uh, what impact it's had on her and the thinking behind Pact of Silence. Here's Linda Huber. Linda Huber, welcome back to the Hobcast Book Show. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. (laughs) It's good to have you back. Now, we spoke to you in episode six, and we're now on number 43. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's time to catch up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And since yeah, we last spoke. Six, it was a long time ago. It is a long time ago. And, of course, we were releasing Daria's Daughter at that stage, um, which That's is, right. in, yeah. uh, 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 you know, in a Hobart perspective, a good, uh, I mean, a great success and has garnered lots of praise, particularly on the Amazon reviews. Um, it's really moved people. Uh, and now the audio book is almost with us. Yeah, we're very close, aren't we? So. A couple of weeks' time, yeah. We, we've, we've, we're thrilled with that. And so um, we should be pushing that uh, heavily. But, uh, it, you know, listening to it in audio it really is very, very moving. Leanne Walker has done the, the narration um, and done it brilliantly. Um, but um, how do you feel about things, you know, with Daria's daughter uh, some months on now? Uh, yeah, I'm feeling all the time that Daria's daughter is a sort of one-off really in my writing because it was such a uh, an almost gentle kind of book there when you think about it nothing really bad happened to any of the characters apart from poor Daria who thought that her daughter had died uh, and there was no real crime involved in the story of of Daria and her daughter it all just came about due to circumstances and people who were really trying to do their best for uh, the other characters in the book and uh, it is I don't think any of my other writing is like that uh, so it's quite interesting to to compare it and also the, 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 to compare the, the reactions of the, the people who have read it to Daria's Daughter uh, and uh, my other books, and Pact of Silence, which you're publishing soon, is the direct opposite, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think um, there is a, a gentleness within uh, and a great humanity within Daria's Daughter. Because we were yes. uh, heading up to Sterling and we were listening um, for any potential errors uh, within the audiobook. So obviously we've lived it again. <laughs> and the the touching thing is, I think that everybody in that story is trying to do the best by everybody else. Um, That's right. Their, yes. For their kids, for the person, you know, with in Margie's case, she thinks she's got her daughter back and, you know, her confusion and you know, dementia and whatever else is affecting her has, has crept up on her and she's trying to do the best. Um, and all the characters are, you know, striving to be the best. You know, um, you've got uh, the daughter, you know, Evie is always trying to, you know, make friends and make sense of the world and, and comply as best she can. It's um, It's extraordinary. But yet there is this great tension and you know, as a reader you know you just wish everything to resolve itself and um, yeah yeah you twist things quite beautifully yeah exactly and I think the, the little girl Evie I think that uh, shows how 
good she thought Margie was being to her. And Evie was quite happy with Margie after the first couple of Where's Mummy moments. Uh, and I, th I think um, uh, there was love in the book and love in uh, in Margie's household and um, also for some of the other characters. Uh, they're, they're, they were all just nice people, weren't they? Um, I, think, I, think, no, I know no you say Harry's daughter's um, different from your other work, but I think I think the core thing that you do so well is you look into people's um, emotional lives and their reactions to things that happen around them, because that, that's the similarity I see between uh, Daria's daughter and Pact of Silence. They are very different books and they cover very different themes and bad things happen in Pact of Silence in a different way. But it's it's how the people react to them and, and how their lives are affected that I think you do so well. Yeah, I think that is very important uh, for me in this kind of writing. That the the reactions of the, the characters must be real. They must be convincing. And um, I think if you don't get that over, then you lose a lot of the tension because the reader isn't identifying so much with the character. There, so I think that people's emotional lives and reactions, as these um, you know, sometimes horrible things happen to them, I think it is important to uh, to get that over to the reader. Yeah, it's not that very powerful. I'm, I'm now, hoping that happens. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I mean, you're judging by the reviews, and you know, you've got a very strong set of you know the numbers are very strong on on Amazon in terms of. The number of reviews people really have been moved by it uh, but pact of silence is um a, a a departure from from that feeling i mean it's still wrapped in the um in the sort of uh, envelope of family and the dynamics of family but it's a different tone um it's darker for one thing isn't it yes yeah yes it is much darker especially uh, i think the the backstory, the, the 20 years ago uh, chapters where um, Luke is a, a little boy basically and all these terrible things are happening and he has to try to make sense of something that no child should ever have to make sense about. And I, I found that very difficult uh, to write and um, in a way, Pact of Silence came out entirely differently to my original intention. I had never intended uh, the ending of the book to be like that. I, I didn't plan to have the children do what they did in the woods. And yes. it happened like that. I mean, that chapter basically wrote itself. Uh, and That's I found quite that quite difficult there um you know I, I wrote the... it and then looked at it and thought you know what have I written here and, <laughs> and this? Uh, uh, what do I do with this now um but it by the time it was written it was there in my head and um yeah it was um, a hard few weeks with that book absolutely Let's put this in context then. I'll, I'll, I'll read the blurb so that people get some idea of what we're talking about here. Um, first of all, the cover, beautiful cover from, from Jane Mapp, 
um, using her photography skills. As, she has, yeah. She, she had to buy a yellow T-shirt. <laughs> a yellow T-shirt distressed with a very large blood stain right in the centre of it, uh, <laughs> set in the woods. So some indication of what might happen. Um, and so the blurb reads, newly pregnant, Emma is startled when her husband Luke announces they're swapping homes with his parents. But the rural idyll where Luke grew up is a great place uh, is a great place to start their family. Yet Luke's manner suggests something odd is afoot, something that Emma can't quite fathom. Emma works hard to settle into the new life in the Yorkshire countryside, but a chance discovery increases her suspicions. She decides to dig <laughs> a little deeper. <laughs> Will Emma find out why the locals are behaving so oddly? Can she discover the truth behind Luke's disturbing behaviour? Will the pact of silence ever be broken? It's, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that sets the scene in terms of the mood. Uh, the sp- specifics, we're talking about it, you know, they move from York, close to the uh, to the Minster, and, you know, it's, I mean, we all know, those of us who've ever visited York, what a wonderful place it is to be in the centre of it. Well, we be. were there quite recently. Yeah, we were, we, yeah. we were. And the, I think, you know, you're normally... Uh, kids were quite impressed by it actually. Oh, they were very impressed with York. They liked yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, so York is wonderful. Yeah, a friend of mine lives in, uh, they have a flat in York, uh, and the, the flat that Luke and Emma moved from is actually my friend's flat in York. Oh. So uh, it exists. It really, it's a wonderful city. It's uh, So you've got very... this situation where mother and father of, of uh, Luke say look we we want to downsize we're you know this is the, the ostensible plot device here or the, the the motivation we'll downsize we'll move into your place in York and you come out to the countryside where we've got a big house got a nice garden and plenty of room to have kids and of course Emma is pregnant so um, this is this seems like a really good solution but gradually things unravel um, and I don't want to give too much away, but just to say that really the the, the point where start, things start to look a little odd is when she's out digging in the garden. Um, <laughs> and the reaction of everybody to the fact that she's having a dig um, sets everybody... A metaphoric it, dig. <laughs> sets off the chain of events in the present day. But also you're sharing the, the background to why there is this sort of act of silence around what happened 20 years ago, the young Luke. And I... I think that those twin narratives are so beautifully done, Linda. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the present day narrative that was much easier to write because I could feel what Emma might be feeling herself. You know, what is my husband doing, and what has happened, and why isn't he telling me? Uh, yeah, that was a much easier part of the book to write um, because I could feel into Emma's um, personality there. So so that was quite a contrast to the much darker uh, past chapters for me. Yeah, and those past past chapters, I mean, it sort of feeds into, uh, you know, modern... Uh, you know, and we, I suppose in recent society, there's been an awakening to what was going on for decades in Britain, uh, that people in power, in positions of contact with with young people were abusing that situation. And, you know, we think of the the, the absolute um, 
monstrosity of Jimmy Savile's behaviour in the Yorkshire area yes. and everywhere else in the UK. Um, that's one thing. But nonetheless, there were examples all over the country in almost every situation where young people were, that people were behaving, you know, um, in, in an abusive way. And that is, I think you have gone into the heart of, of that. You know, you've got young people trying to figure out whether whoever's, um, you know, uh, teaching them something, in this case, gymnastics, um, is is uh, their, their physical contact with their um, their subjects is, you know, with the young people is is either being thought of as being predatory or it is innocent and it's simply trying to improve them. And yet you've got that tension beautifully, I think, you know, you've really, really, un, you know, nailed that, that thing. I was in similar situations, you know, where suspicions would be around teachers. Mm, same here, yeah. Um, mm. and, and, you know, the word would get round and then there'd always be somebody who would say, oh, no, 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 you know, you're not, you know, it's, mm. it's, not, it's not true. But I think you've really, really nailed that. And I, I, I can feel that was difficult for you. Yeah, yeah. And I saw a television programme a couple of years ago uh, where uh, they had some victims talking about the effects of abuse like that when they were around 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, and it made quite an impression on me how uh, the, the children didn't really realise or only realised quite slowly what was actually happening. There and I think in the book, Luke is quite a, quite an innocent twelve-year-old. He's not one of these very precocious children, uh, but some of the others in the group uh, are. And um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to think uh, what what would these children do? What should they have done? Uh, at the beginning and to try to convey why they didn't just go and, and tell their parents what was happening to them. But I think that's true, isn't it? Especially of, in the past, uh, you know, as a child, I can remember, you know, that sort of, oh, if I tell somebody, will A, will they believe me? Or and B, will they tell me off? You know, you yeah, exactly. Yeah, is it my that, fault? Yeah. yeah, and that's, that, you know, that, um, so something came up recently. It was, it was a, I saw a Facebook post, and it was about um, I'm not going to name any names, but somebody mentioned um, a teacher that was a primary school teacher, where, uh, not my school, but a neighbouring school. And then it spurned this whole conversation about very slight inappropriate behaviour of this teacher. And then people commenting were saying, "Yes, he used to do that," and I remember as well. And you know, it was almost sort of that was their realization that although it was very subtle it was you know nowadays we would know straight away that was inappropriate but 30 years ago but it hadn't quite occurred to them they'd felt uncomfortable but they hadn't been able to pinpoint you know that that was inappropriate so I what do was think happening? Yeah. yeah so I think that that's a generational thing and I think you know you've, you've you've got that really well and it's got me thinking about it and you know I'm sure other people will as well yeah yeah it's it's um I think it is something, it is happening in our lives uh, right now. It happens in the world and we, we don't like to think about it. We like to keep our own world nice and safe and uh, keep the family happy. And uh, yet things like that do happen. Yeah. And, and I think also in the book, uh, Luke's situation was exacerbated 
by something he didn't know, which was his own parents' uh, situation, that they had um, not exactly a similar kind of thing happen in their lives, but they were in the situation where uh, this subject of abuse in that way was totally taboo. And other children anywhere can be in that situation where a subject may be taboo for uh, religious reasons or just for something that has happened in the family. Oh, we don't talk about that um, here. And I think that that makes it even harder for children to come forward with things like that when they feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. I think I think that's what you've done so brilliantly is that Pact of Silence works on one level in terms of within the village, people who remember the events of 20 years earlier are keeping a secret and um, they go to some lengths as, you know, as the plot develops to keep that secret. But also the fact is within families and within individuals, they would rather not discuss it and not bring it to the surface. And yet that itself, keeping that secret for some people is so damaging. Um, yes. You know, there, there is this, you know, the pact of silence falls on every aspect of the characters' lives. And but, I think you think you've done that superbly. But I think it's because it's because people are they're scared of how they will feel if they talk about something or if they bring it out in the open. So they're I think they think they're protecting themselves, but actually they're just perpetuating. But, yes, and often when you've got a yes. secret and you're trying to keep it within and you're trying, you know, actually it has a habit when you're keeping secrets like that. I speak from experience. Um, <laughs> not necessarily this subject but nonetheless keeping secrets it can it is corrosive the longer and harder you hold on to it the more you protect it the more it just it 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 has a, a damaging effect on one's psyche and one's soul really if being you know yeah being godly about it. <laughs> yeah yeah i think secrets like that sort of grow within you until there isn't much place for anything else uh, there, if you are keeping a secret like that, uh, then uh, you can't enjoy other things uh, which are perfectly normal. Yeah, there, I think it's overwhelming, uh, isn't it? Because it you're just so away scared inside of you. Slip. Yeah, yeah. You're obsessed with it, don't you? It's all you think about eventually. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean that. So it is a. It is a. Uh, a journey into into really darkness but there is there's levity and there's there's humanity again throughout so um you know we're probably giving <laughs> slightly the wrong impression in terms of pact of silence it is it is very much you it's one of your you know it oh. is of of your um you know people who love linda huber books will love this too but what linda does well what you do really well is you you get people turning the pages I found both of this and Daria's daughter. I read them both within 24 hours mm. <laughs> while I was cooking, okay. while I was pottering around in the post office queue. Any chance I got to carry on reading, I, I took it because I just I can't put your books down. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I hope people do feel like that. And we should maybe also say here that there is uh, uh, nothing that you would call terribly graphic about uh, Pact of Silence. We don't have pages and pages of blood and abuse uh, in the book. Um, But it it is just, um, yeah, crimes happen uh, there. People are hurt. Every family has a secret, I think. Uh, And there is this suffocating 
the silence is suffocating in this village. Um, you know, the fact that uh, no one appears to be as they are. Um, and that this, I mean, it's like a, you've, you've enveloped the village with a cloud. <laughs> Over. It's okay. But it's so pretty. That's another. That's oh no, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous you know, location. Emma's yeah. cycling along in in the village, and she's you know it's it's all these pretty cottages and pretty lanes, and and I love that the fact that it's it, on the surface it looks like this lovely place to be, but there's like you say the sort of cloud of something malevolent. <laughs> yes, hovering over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Yorkshire is a very pretty place. It's it's a lovely. Uh, Lovely county. Yeah, it is. Um, and yet, you know, this is, I mean, like many villages in that area with families who've been there for generations, it, it's quite a, it, it's a uh, closed community in the sense that it, it, it takes interlopers or p- new people slowly. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, I've lived in villages before and I'm thinking of, I'm going back for, sadly, for a funeral soon um, to the place I lived for 10 years where all of our kids grew up together um through the primary school and all that sort of thing everyone knew each other's business and i just remember you know that that um the village rumor mill (laughs) was a very powerful um tool um you know uh, and it was one of these places where everyone was on the face of it a happy family at least that's what they projected and then gradually you'd find one or two couples would start to split up. And no one saw it coming. Yeah, a big, a big shock, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah. And then you'd find out sort of afterwards the details and you think, how did, how did we not know? <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. latterly, we moved on. So I've not lived there for over 10 years, as I say. And one or two of the children started to have issues. And again, you know, this, I mean, one... Um, uh, survived a car crash which he was he was drunk at the wheel himself and he was trying to self-harm effectively and you know mm. you're thinking my god where did that come from because the the the, the, the boy i knew was uh exceptionally um confident and gifted football wise good looking kid you know all the things going for him really in that context where does where does this darkness come from and so that yeah i mean i think that that you capture that brilliantly within the sort of bucolic setting there is darkness lying beneath within the hearts and souls of people i think there's darkness everywhere (laughs) yeah yeah it's the kind of thing uh, i think maybe that's why agatha christie wrote about so many uh, so much about village life there the village is like uh a little world all, all to itself there where you have darkness, you have light, you have nice people, you have bad people. And uh, you can see the whole world in one village, really. And it's harder to escape as well. Well, it is. Yeah. Yes, possibly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it has its own rhythm. I mean, you know, I think the, the Agatha Christie era village um, is less recognisable in lots of parts of the country now because most of the pubs the village shops and all those <laughs> sort of facilities and also you know the buses into town and all those sort of things she used to write about or the train line they've all gone um disappeared you know, right, yeah. yeah so those sort of focuses of, of village life and indeed church going has largely <laughs> gone as well although what was peculiar about the village i used to live in was that there were really very strong christian side of it actually. actually the same so i lived in Chalbury in oxfordshire so it's probably a similar similar situation and yes 
a lot of my friends were churchgoers or had something to do with the church or the primary school. They all volunteered. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So both, you know. Oh, I did the, did the, the school thing. I didn't do the churchy thing. <laughs> I did the school thing. But you're right. It's a, a very sort of strong uh, legacy and continuing on of sort of, um, you know, connection to the local church, the church in the centre of the. Yeah, the community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Vicarage for tea. Oh, yeah, that's very Agatha Christie. (laughs) Cucumber sandwiches, yes. Wow. It still happens. (laughs) But writing, I mean, let's not, let's uh, remind people, I mean, who who perhaps haven't listened to episode six. I mean, you're you're in Switzerland. Um, It's some years in this country. Um, What sort of community feel do you get where you are? Uh, I live in a, a small town. It is, I think, oh, I'm not sure how many people live here, something like 13,000 uh, there. And I, th- I think it's just about the same. Uh, really, you have your your different communities, less so maybe um, around the churches now, although that does uh, still exist, but there are different school groups, community groups, um, political groups. Um, there are groups at uh, institutions like the library. Uh, there, I, I think people are more or less the same uh, here as they are in, uh, in the UK. Although having said that, I think that there is quite a similarity uh, around most of the European cultures. Uh, here or in Central and Western Europe anyway. Um, there, and I don't know, maybe it is because we have a um, similar, we have all grown up in similar kinds of, of religions here. I don't know. And that used to be something that was very much more powerful than uh, than it is today. The, the whole church feeling and um, religious holidays, uh, etc. And I was just thinking also things like brownies and cubs and beavers, you know, they mm. have a religious connection, don't they? Yeah. And my children yes. all attended beavers yeah. and cubs and Luke went to scouts, but they they have no uh, religious thoughts at all, really. They're completely. No, but there was, a, <laughs> yeah. there was an underpinning of the Anglican tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Within, within yes. the foundation of the scout movement. Absolutely. Yeah, family tradition too. That, uh, though interestingly, here in Switzerland, uh, uh, we have a lot of religious holidays. Uh, they're like Ascension Day and uh, Whitsun and lots and lots of others, Corpus Christi. Uh, there, we have these days ho- as holidays on the day. Uh, whereas I look over at the UK and they maybe have a bank holiday around the same time, but it has nothing to do with the the actual religious holiday that um, is being celebrated. Yeah, that's been dissociated, hasn't it? So that, you know, yeah. they put yes, it conveniently exactly. on a Monday, um, you know, four days after whatever, Monday, Thursday or yeah. whatever it might be, you know, Easter Monday. I mean, Easter Monday, obviously, we, we still observe, but that's about the only one which actually sits on the date you, you, you mentioned. Um, yeah. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I grew up I grew up in that, that strong Christian um, sort of church-going tradition because of my... You know, the fact I was a head chorister, and so the rest of my family went back to going to church alongside it. My dad was a church warden as well, and so yeah, I mean, all of my growing up, 
my contact with girls because I was at an all boys school was through the church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. There was nothing, you know, that I can put, put my finger on that suggested any of the people that I was in contact with the adults uh, had Ill, Ill, Ill intentions towards us. Um, so we were fortunate in that, but that's not the case uh, of that era in lots of other circumstances. And I think that's what you, you, you obviously have touched on here. Well, not touched on, dealt, dealt with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I wonder, uh, thinking now that uh, in the book, um, I'm not what you would call a churchgoer. Uh, so none of my characters in any of my books are churchgoers uh, either. And uh, I think my reaction to what the children did in the end uh, there, because they did do a pretty terrible thing, um, I think that was a kind of horror moment. Why did these children do this? And um, yeah, it was very hard to think how you would react to that or how a community would react to that uh, if it came out. That's yeah, right. Because so the children's a... parents obviously tried to protect them uh, and it was hushed up. The, the pact of silence was made. But uh, what would have happened if that had come out uh, yeah. in the larger community? There's a, there's a Lord of the Flies moment, really, is what we're, we're, we're describing here. Um, yeah, okay. In, yeah. The, in, this, in the scene set 20 years um, prior to the modern day setting. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, I, I do remember, um, you know, being in gang of young boys, you know, 11, 12, 12 years old sort of age group we're talking about um when you know things could suddenly switch um and you know i suppose i i i mean this is in school violence i suppose where and it wasn't a violent school by any means but it was a very it was an all boys school so you know outside of the eyes of authority there was a law of the jungle going on um and i felt very sorry there were two or three kids in my class who were terribly bullied physically and mentally mm, who left yeah. the school after a bit and for some reason as a pack everyone joined in and i sort of all i did was kept silent i didn't take part but that's just as bad yeah i mean but that, that's mm. how these things happen isn't it it only takes two or three of, of the members of the group to have the courage if you can call it courage to act on what what they're thinking but everybody else is scared because they think i don't want that to be me i don't want it to turn on me so if i keep silent or go along with it then i'm safe and that's human nature isn't it you want to protect yourself so yeah, you, yeah. the empathy you might feel for the victim is overrided by your need to protect yourself in that yeah, situation absolutely, yeah. yeah yeah and peer pressure is definitely a thing uh, and also a group dynamic uh, there once you start something like that, it uh, is probably quite difficult to stop. Uh, there are children who start being mean to other children and then maybe uh, some of the others are sniggering behind their, their mm. backs and uh, it's just a very bad dynamic that starts uh, and it gets out of control. Yeah, I hasten to add, I'm friends with all the people who were bullied, still on Facebook <laughs> and still exchange messages. So I mean, it sounds awful, isn't it? Oh, my, my conscience is clear, but that's that's kind of how well, it feels, really. It's interesting because I had an experience, so not bullying exactly, but um, at least not physically. But I did have some sort of mental 
bullying when I was at the start of secondary school. And one of the boys uh, contacted me on Facebook a few years ago and he said, I, I am so sorry about how horrible I was to you at the beginning of secondary school. I deeply regret it and I hope you can forgive me. So as, wow. an, as an adult, he was able to reflect back. How did you react? I said, it's fine. It's fine. It, you know, it wasn't very pleasant at the time, but I appreciate you coming. Mm. It's quite brave to, to approach someone and say, you know, he didn't have to. He could have just not done anything, but he actually approached me. We're now friends on Facebook and, you know, we have some conversations sometimes. And I do understand that what we're talking about, that when you're that age, you don't, your sort of moral compass isn't developed enough exactly yes think through your behavior you can't quite you know you haven't quite got the emotional intelligence to see the consequences or to see the effect on someone else yeah and i think yeah the victims don't always see it uh, as um bullying or abuse either because the same thing happened to me i was uh uh, looking back, I can see I was bullied by two uh, children when I was about 10 uh, there. But I didn't actually realise that this was bullying until much later there. And mm. like you, I didn't like it. But um, yeah, it, it was hard to uh, to understand what was going on. Yeah. I mean, actually, I remember once, I mean, you know, you say the moral compass thing. So a little later on in secondary school, and this is before I left to, to go to a mixed school, um, we were in history and the teacher, this was fourth form. So what's that? In yeah, modern, year 10. 10, isn't it? Yeah, year 10. Um, so we're about 14, 15 years old. And the teacher overreacted. He was quite a right wing. He was, well, blatantly right wing kind of, kind of guy uh, and used to you know, preach right-wing philosophy to us in in history it almost yeah he was he was you know completely unashamed about it and some one of my good friends um came into school wearing a cnd badge on his lapel and this teacher saw it and ordered its removal and simeon the guy i'm, I'm referring to refused to take it off and so then this teacher said right i want the you know you you and you remove the badge they didn't just remove the badge. They took the lapel clean off the jacket. They ripped it off. Um, and I was the only person who jumped up and, and physically tried to stop it. And I got detention for it. So you are slightly older there, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, so. exactly. And I was, you know, I was called Mr. Liberal. That was my nickname <laughs> at that stage, which was probably the cleanest nickname I ever had. But um, I was, you know, I used to be taunted for the fact that I voted liberal, you know, I would have voted liberal Democrat or whatever it was, SDP, you know, at that time, mm. um, or indeed Labour. But there were so few of us who would in a private school like that. Um, but that is one incident which really stays with me. And, and Simeon himself, he went off um, as soon as he could. He left the school, went to his, fa his father was headmaster of local comprehensive and he went there for sixth form and was much happier. But well, that, it sounds like it would be. Well, I know. I mean, yeah, and, and actually, if you think about it, that if 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 that had happened in today's culture, oh, it'd be in the papers. Oh, absolutely! It was appalling. Mm -hmm. It was one of the worst things I've ever witnessed. Well, I got hit on the head with a Bible for yawning in RE, <laughs> and it doesn't show. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen the dent, have I? <laughs> Not in your behaviour, anyway. You know. <laughs> It was quite normal before that. <laughs> but it just goes to show that, you know, I think that period that you're dealing with and you're, you're bringing back to life, there was lots of it going on. 
Yeah, but there's yeah. that subtle level though, isn't it? That I was talking about earlier. There's this sort of a subtle level of unacceptable behaviour that was acceptable then or deemed acceptable then that actually isn't at all. I mean, all the board rubbers the teachers used to throw at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And we got the, we had the belt when we were at school. You know, you used to have a, I remember once in one class, um, it was a spelling lesson. And uh, I think there was about 15 children, including me, had misspelled the word beginning. And we all had to go and make a line at the front of the classroom and were given the belt for that. Uh, really? There, Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, uh, the, the double N in the middle of the word um, fooled a lot of people uh, well, there. And we were all next time you see it. one of your manuscripts, if it's wrong, you know what the consequence is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have never misspelled beginning since then, I have to say. No, I was uh, say. You know, <laughs> it was effective, but um, yeah. Yeah, effective. yeah. yeah My word. <laughs> Wow. I mean, you know, it's what they say in. Um, uh, I'm thinking of some some, you know, it, it, you could see what Pink Floyd were were uh, were alluding to <laughs> in 1979 with, um, you know, another brick in the wall or indeed, you know, yeah. uh, the police dark sarcasm in the classroom. Um, you know, yeah, yes, uh... in fact, um, and this is my diversion again. Uh, so Pink Floyd, uh, that that members of the pink floyd went to the schools i went to you see and um so the teacher that they they were thinking of was taught me he was his last year teaching history at um what the cnd badge no 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 it was different guy different guy and yet um so when they did the the film and the sort of the imagery of the teacher putting kids through a mincer um (laughs) was was based on, on on this particular teacher that i had um and yes i mean the they were they were there were was a sort of cohort of uh ex uh old school i mean they're literally old school but they were in they they were in their 40th year of teaching and so they'd grown up with this sort of corporal punishment Mm. um you know belittling of the pupils uh you know bringing up to the top of the front of the class and stripping them you know stripping them mentally bare for making a mistake um, I was subject to this regularly, you know, because I, I was not the brightest by any means. Um, in fact, the problem was I didn't pay attention, so I was always <laughs> making mistakes, just not listening. Um, and and they thought nothing of it. And the impact it has on people is is huge. Did they fight in the Second World War? Were they old enough? Yeah, I mean, some. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Mr. Tannerfield as he was. Uh, so this is 1981. Yes, he would have fought in the war. And the only time he wasn't at either a pupil at the school or a teacher there was actually away fighting. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Well, that's, but you know, then again, my first headmaster that I remember, Commander Sumnall, had been a Royal Naval Commander. Well, but it's in the name. It's in the name. And he was one of the most incredibly generous, spirited, uh, kindly, firm, you know, I mean, ran the place with great, you know, discipline. But at the same time, was immensely warm. And, you know, I think, you know, wonderful things of him. But you see, now you've made an interesting point about the way that education has changed. So that warmth, Mm. I think people had more freedom in the past to express warmth and care for children. Whereas now, when I worked as a governor in a primary school, I know that they had to sort of monitor their behaviour. So a child is upset. 
oh, I can't comfort them. I can't physically comfort them, but they they are desperate. Well, I mean, you know, I just remember one time I, I, I'd done a project which, you know, and I was struggling. And, I, I, you know, the first year I went there, I was way behind the rest of the class, way behind. And there was one kid who had dyslexia and, you know, who, who, who perennially struggled, a good friend of mine. But um, I was I was really underperforming in every every subject. And then I had another, a year on. I'd done this project on bridges or something, which drawn praise because it was, you know, comprehensive and well thought out and all that sort of thing for an eight-year-old. And I remember being called up to headmaster's office and he just put a hand on my shoulder and said, well done, young man, you know, very proud of yourself, the way you've turned it around. And I got the progress prize for that year, <laughs> um, which was basically, there, there, you're a dunce, but you've done, you've worked hard. Um, and I just, I'll never forget that moment. Mm. It meant so much to me. Uh, the, the, the guy was, you know, <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. We ought to talk. I was going to say we, we ought to. We'll also return to the track. subject of literature and writing. And yeah, so I think yeah. a very important question for Linda is what's next for you, Linda? Uh, well, at the moment, I have two projects on the go. Uh, one is my feel-good fiction, which is something completely different, uh, and I, I do have another suspense work in progress on the go, but at the moment that is on the back burner because, um, uh, quite frankly, I was so um, uh, well affected is a, a stupid word, but um, you know, I just didn't feel like writing more suspense fiction after finishing Pact of Silence because it was such a difficult book. There and I think I, I need a, a little rest with something a little lighter uh, before I get back to it. I think um, that's that will happen. Yeah, mm. I was, was going to say. I mean, where did where where did it take you in terms of? Because when you're writing a book, you live it. Um, it's in your thoughts when you're not writing, and and you know you go to bed and something pops into your head. It must have been a very dark time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It wasn't an easy book to write. Uh, uh, there and um, like we said before, I think it was the uh, the reactions of the children to what was happening to them that uh, affected me so much that uh, a group of perfectly normal, happy children uh, had been um, forced in a way into behaviour that was completely unacceptable. Uh, to anyone's way of thinking yeah Yeah. and as you say the world is a dark place it's um yeah it is it is we spend our time trying to sugarcoat it but (laughs) you know yeah uh, yeah exactly that's uh, yeah scratch beneath the surface which is really what this story is about you know there's emma scratching beneath the surface and unearthing answers no one wants to give um yeah it's quite something yeah 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 and um, I was just about to say that, I mean, you know, you, you did sort of slightly dip into the dark side for us for Christmas. So you've written your Christmas story, but the Isn't thing I like about Christmas story, it's just, you know, you, this thing, you're so good at writing about from the child's perspective. So going back to Daria's daughter, so you've got the child in the Christmas story and things are happening around him. And then there's something that's a little bit unsavory, a little bit dark, but he just sort of... <laughs> He just sort of takes it in and, oh, that's normal. Well, well, maybe they did that because of that. And, you know, so you still yeah, got that yeah. bit of dark in your writing still. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of cosy crime, my Christmas story, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good way to there, start. It's, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed writing that. I think that was the only crime writing I've done since um, I finished the book. But um, <laughs> yes, no, no, I enjoyed writing that. Well, we're yeah. grateful to you. I mean, and uh, just to remind people that The Dark Side of Christmas is on pre-order at the moment, comes out on the 7th of December. It is there to raise money. Royalties, the royalties from the book will go to the Simon community who runs Street Reads in Edinburgh and Glasgow. And they uh, help the homeless community uh, get access to books, to opportunities also to write their stories as well, to get, give them a voice. They also arrange um, a space for them to meet authors. I found out, so they, they, you know, they sort of try and get. Oh, that's fantastic! That together, so. No, I, it, I think it's a wonderful thing. So we're, we're very happy to support that, and we're very grateful to you, Linda, for for contributing. And we've obviously, the two of us have written stories as well. So, uh, you know, someone's got to uh, <laughs> be at the bottom of the pile. That's me. Uh, I think I'm at the bottom of the pile. No, but no, anyway. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> the question is when i was writing i was saying would I, if this was mission would i read on <laughs> that's the question and i know that with mine i wouldn't <laughs> uh, we're really selling it aren't we well if you want to read some really good stories plus the ones we've written the dark yes. stuff, available on Amazon well, i haven't now. read yours yet so i'm, I'm not commenting on that so, yeah, but, yeah. A, a question there will we be able to buy them or will they be available from your website uh, yes, website. you can find paperback from the website. Yes, okay. they're available. So ebooks on Amazon and paperback versions either through Amazon or our website. Absolutely. Excellent. So, yeah, no, we're very excited about that. So we're looking um, ahead to 2022. You've said that, you know, you're taking a little break from the, from the dark psychological crime fiction side of things. What, yeah. um, what if you were setting yourself a goal for next year, what, what's... What's uh, on your agenda, do you think? Uh, a writing goal, yeah. Well, I want to get my novella series finished, and I reckon that will take me up to about um, spring, or they're not novellas now. I'm changing them into full-length fiction. Uh, and then I'll go back to my suspense work in progress, um, which is the um, working title of A Family Affair. Oh, uh, so uh, so I'm about halfway through that. So uh, the aim would be to get it finished in the first half of the year. Fantastic. And in terms of personal goals, I mean, I, I know that you felt acutely the, the impact of the pandemic in terms of being able to see people travel, you know, um, mm. being in contact. Uh, things are beginning to relax um you know some people and certainly certain scientists are still proposing that that's unwise but um as things relax will you take advantage of that and travel again uh yeah i hope i i can um uh, there i will say we're not relaxing quite as hard in switzerland as you are in the uk at the moment but um and I think that is the difficult part that each country has its different uh, rules and regulations at the moment um, there. But, uh, you know, I, I hope, too, that next year, I mean, everyone is saying next spring will see us out of this um, there. And I think we maybe said that last spring, too, but uh, hopefully this spring uh, it will be the case that we will be free to travel without worrying about it uh, yeah that would be nice we'll have a hobeck party 
<laughs> yes, a summer oh. party. Yes, that would be lovely. Yeah. Tea, tea, instead of tea with the vicar, tea with the cat. Yes, so I'd, I'd rather have tea with your cat. Yes. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yes. Near it, um, you know, judging by her behaviour this morning. That's only you with your cornflakes. Oh boy, oh boy! <laughs> I mean, I was like under siege. You know, if she had a, a a piece of cotton tied to her tail, I'd have been wrapped up and, and in a position where I wouldn't be able to move. Basically, you know, she was circling me so much. But the interesting thing about the cat that we've noticed is that she used to connect me with food. So if I used to get up, she'd follow me and go meow to the food bowl. She doesn't do it anymore. She waits for Adrian to get up, and she and as okay. soon as he gets up, she goes bonkers, doesn't she? Oh yeah, oh yeah. She insists I get up. You know, oh boy, this morning it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel sorry for her. You know, she really wants to just you know, wind it in a bit. You know, we've got the message. I'll feed you. Yeah, there's no need for this. And I've hyster- been downstairs for an hour, and she hadn't bothered me at all. Ask. No, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. No, I mean, oh, that's cats for you. We should ask a random question, shouldn't we? We should. Okay. Oh, uh, oh God, yes. Yeah, so. All right, here <laughs> we go. Every every guest now fears it. I mean, I actually think it's becoming an imped- you know an impediment to us getting interviews. No, <laughs> I think that's people, not true. I think the reputation of the random question is. I'm spread. very gentle. I haven't asked anything too probing or embarrassing at all, so it's fine. I think you're okay. Well, I might hit me well with be, it then. You have well. Okay, here we go then. Right, I will give it the uh, the the booming voice build up, and then you will be hit with the random question. <laughs> Rebecca's random question. So, Linda, if you could break one world record, what would you break, and why? A world record. Uh, your mind one. immediately flies towards sports. Then, um, I think I would like to run. Uh, really, really fast. I would like to break the world record in speed running uh, so that I could go places uh, uh, more easily. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of something basically supersonic here. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd like to be able to run really, really fast. Linda Wiz. Is that a Billy Wiz? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We'll go, we'll go yeah. with that. Uh, so um, in terms of, uh, okay, I'm going to bring my sports head back on. <laughs> so what distance are we, are we talking about? If you want to cover some distance, you're probably looking like, you know, you want to be a wizard at longer distance than, than say, 100 metres. Oh, yeah, uh, ultra marathons, yes. Oh, right, okay, good. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, possible. Running. If you do some training, you, you could get there. Yeah, well, I, I used to run. I used to um uh, you know, 5K, 10K, uh, that kind of length. I used to do that. But, um, you know, as one gets older, one's knees are not quite so cooperative. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I had to stop doing that. Well, I think here's another random question then. I mean, you know, if, if, you, if you could ensure or um, future-proof one bit of your body <laughs> so that it never breaks down and never gets injured, what would it be? Oh, for me, brain. Your brain. Yeah, brain, really. But, I mean, can you actually do that? No, I don't uh, think there's any way of doing there, it. But your body you is so power. interconnected that, um, yeah, your brain needs your heart and your heart needs your, yeah, your I whole think, circulatory I, system. Yeah, I think I probably would, I, I would concentrate on my knees because, 
whenever I've had dodgy knees, it's it's you know it's so or or my back, my back is is always problematic, or has been in the yeah. past. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, we can't isolate it really. Uh, no, it's maybe not because I've never had dodgy knees, so I didn't even occur to think about knees. Well, I spent some yeah. time this morning. This is sad, isn't it? That, that I had this sort of I don't know where it flashed into my head. I'm going to start running. Well, I've got the flattest feet on, on the planet. If you were to wet my feet and then put it on a dry bit of floor, you would see a complete footprint, which if you have mm. arches, you don't. Well, my feet are the opposite. You'd get this thin line. Around the exactly. You've got fabulous, great arches, but I've got the, the, you know, I would never get into the army because they just look at my feet and go, right, well, that's it. You're not going. Can't you go in the army with no, flat feet? You can't, no. Yeah. Why? Certainly in the past, in World War II, you, 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 you're, that was one of the key things of the medical. Why do they need feet to be? Because <laughs> the impact of flat feet is that, you know, your ankles break down, your knees break down, your lower back pain. Oh. Basically, you cannot do the sort of thing, especially the boots they were wearing. I mean, I don't suppose they allow people in the modern army to have insoles for flat feet or whatever. Oh, OK. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, but it's, it's a real because you know people you know you stride off for a walk and suddenly you're halfway around you, you your knees hobbled or your back's gone or or whatever mm. i don't know how we get into these things <laughs> <laughs> this is the hobcast book show where yeah, we, ask Kate, the <laughs> we are actually talking about books <laughs> it's all part of life's rich pattern isn't it and books are in there along with it all yeah mm. absolutely yeah, you where we to, get the inspiration for. You have to dig deep to get the book stuff. But, um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fantastic. Well, Linda, it's been an absolute pleasure um, as as ever to speak to you. And um, we we ought to say that uh, right. You give me the facts and figures. Pact of Silence is so, out. Pact of Silence is out uh, tomorrow as this podcast goes live. So sixteenth of November, which is also my son's eighteenth birthday. And so it's going to be a double celebration in our house. We'll, we'll raise yeah. a glass to both Pact of Silence and an 18-year-old. Um, yes. So and In no particular order. <laughs> <laughs> this is an 18-year-old who refuses to drink alcohol, so I don't think he's going to want to go down I the pub. I am <laughs> so going to get him drunk. I'm going to drag him down the pub. <laughs> it's time. You know, no 18-year-old should not feel the rancour of being... A hangover going to school yes so anyway back to pact of silence it's available on amazon also on our website it's paperback and um daria's daughter is also available and not long until we get the audio daria's yeah so we'll, we'll give that a, a plug but i think that's the um, uh, i'm trying to remember now is it the seventh as well uh no it's gonna be it's, it's the final week of november oh okay so the final tuesday of november mm-hmm. which will be the 30th i'll i'll double check yeah i think so Let's have a look. I'll tell you what. Yeah, it is. It's the 30th. For a second, then I'll, yeah. I will dig out the information. I am pretty sure it's the 30th because the 23rd is, we have a book publishing on the 23rd and 23 plus 7 gets you to 30. Right. So, <laughs> keep talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, so professional. You've done 43 episodes and we're still. Well, the, this is number started. 44. The one, this one we're doing now is yes, 44. 44. 44. Well, we're keeping up standards, aren't we? <laughs> we're going to sign in to our uh, distributor who will give us the facts and so the exact the information. Date. Yes, the exact date of the publication of Daria's Daughter in audio. Da, da, da. He's if, there. I'm nearly there. 
nearly there. <laughs> and now, of course, it's gone on and go slow. And we have set the date. This is so professional, isn't it? For the 25th of November. Oh, okay, so it's not a Tuesday, not like the books. Does it's it? Thursday. Oh, okay, that's my yeah. bad then. Okay, Thursday the 25th. Exactly right. a month before Christmas. So we're all looking forward to that. That's with uh, Leanne Walker. Yes. Uh, as the voice. She does a fantastic job. Like... She really does. And it's available on no fewer than 43 different retailers. I know, retailers. that's amazing. I mean, I, I wow. didn't realise there were yes. quite so many. But yes, it's... Um... <laughs> yeah, uh, including the, the, the really popular ones like Wheelers, Permabound, Bookmate, Badula Downpour, Hummingbird... <laughs> All of those ones. And Milk Box. I like that. Okay. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll look forward to that. But Linda, thank you so much for your time. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. When we set out on these interviews, we never quite know where they're going to go. No. And we say this to everybody. So when we when we arrange to interview an author or a, a writer or an editor, sometimes they say, oh, what do I need to do to prepare? And we always say... Nothing, because we just don't know where they're going to go. We just go with the flow, don't we? And Yeah, gargle, have some water handy, <laughs> uh, take a deep breath and wait for Rebecca's random question, which, yeah. which I think Linda answered <laughs> superbly. But, um, yeah, I think I think that was, even for us, that was a, a departure. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when it's a second interview with somebody we've spoken mm. to before, we always have that, that background worry of, well, we've got to cover new ground, haven't we? We don't want to repeat the same... To- topics that when we did talk you about? want to become a writer are you a plotter time. or a panther yeah all of that that's uh, episode six if you want that stuff. yeah but no we didn't at all no so uh, it's it was yeah well i mean just for yourselves how you felt the interview went but it certainly was very very different and um and dark in places and and some of the things it does bring back you know memories of things that happened around you or to you and um and from an era, mm. well, I mean, it, I didn't grow up in the 80s so much, you know, teenager, but um, we're talking about, I suppose I would have been contemporaneous with, with Luke, just about, you know, maybe 10 years difference. Yeah, I think it was sort of late 80s, early 90s, wasn't it, okay. when he was... Anyway, yes, it, yes, it's not that far off, is it? And... No, but I think the 70s was a very different decade. Oh, completely. The 80s, on, on, so on much these, has changed. On these things, and now, yeah. of course. Anyway, um, it was fascinating. Listen, we had a little bit of a um, little bit of a break from things Hobeck. Well, I say a break. I mean, the fact is, Rebecca couldn't help but do work in the middle of the queue for the event we went to. Uh, oh, I was just answering lots of tweets. There's a reason why we've been well, doing lots of Twitter. Let's, let's deal with that first, then. Um, so, I said to you in one of my little brainwave moments that I sometimes get, why don't we run a competition asking people on Twitter how many people we've killed? through our series of books <laughs> published between... It's the 1st of January yeah. till 15th of November, we decided on the right, date. Right, so all the releases this year, up to date. Up to date. So people who how, had the books could How actually... many people have been murdered in their books? <laughs> and it was actually an interesting question for us as well, because we've read them all, of course mm-hmm. we have, but I couldn't, off the top of my head, come up with a number, not even a you know an educated guess, so... We wanted to know as well as wanting people to work. Absolutely. And it's been one of those which, uh, well, we kind of suspected it would get viral. Yeah. So it has fired up everyone's imagination. And we've had guesses ranging from, I think, nine was the lowest we've had. And I think 200 and something is the highest. Now, we don't yet know the answer. So that's why, you know, we can freely talk about the guesses. And how long have people got to enter? 
So you've got until midnight today as this goes live. So midnight on the um, 15th of November. And um, that's midnight UK time. The most, the most common number that's been suggested, I would say one in five or six people suggest this number. Can you guess what it is? 14. No. How many? 42. Oh, 42. So many people have said 42. I don't know if that's right or not. If it is, we'll have to have a draw of the names. But I suspect. Actually, why was I saying fourteen? I, I suspect it's higher than that. But I mean, you know, who knows? I don't know. We because I was I was thinking. So I think it's um I think it's fifteen books. So I was thinking an average of three murders per book, maybe. Because I know there's one book that doesn't have any murders. How did we let that slip through? <laughs> Well, you know the book. I think you know the book. Yeah, it's Linda's book. Linda's book, yes. Yeah. Diary's daughter. <laughs> and there's one book with just one. How can, look, hang on a second. So yeah. we're talking about a book set in Glasgow and not have a murder. <laughs> it should have a murder. It has to have a murder. So we you just wanted murder. to say that, didn't you? No, I wanted to say murder. <laughs> it's been a murder. Um, yeah. So the winner of the, the person who guesses correctly... Or it's close enough because they might not guess correctly, but the closest person will win signed copies by the two of us because oh. <laughs> we're celebrities now yeah, right. um, of last year's Never Mind the Baubles. Yeah. And this year's The Darker Side of Christmas, which is coming out in December. Our anthology of stories. Yeah. 7th of December for that. So Looking. they get two signed copies. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, so I did hint that we were in a queue, and we were going to um, to a particularly special event for me because it's something I love, and in fact, you love watching it on the telly. Yeah, I've I've grown to love it, and I, when I was a child, I did as well. But I sort of had a period where I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's well, okay, it's a sport. That's no uh, no surprise really it's with me, is it? Between Adrian and Hulk is played over the best of one leg, Hulk. Right, it's a little bit of a hint. Anyway, uh, let's just see. If this practice match right. Okay. We'll get there eventually <laughs> to the audio that I really want. Ladies and gentlemen, first leg, Adrian to throw, game on. One And he really does sound like that, doesn't he? He really does, yeah, booming over the PA system. <laughs> so, yeah, we went to the Grand Slam of Darts in Wolverhampton. The glamour. It's not that far from us. Um, it's about 18 miles. So uh, it was worth doing. Uh, we weren't in costume, but a lot of people were. What do you mean? Well, kind of. I was. I went as a as a reflection of my skills in darts. Yeah, he had a spotty dress on. So yes. it like where the, I was the, the, the arrow targets. marks are. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was great fun. Really well uh, organised. We didn't drink much. We had a pint each. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone else was having... Tr- Jug upon jug. It was quite. It was, I find that quite interesting. Though I quite mm. like being the sober person amongst lots and lots of drunk people because I, I find it fascinating. Yeah. No, it, it was great fun. It was great fun. Um, so that was that was a little bit of time off. As, as I mentioned, it's been uh, a big sort of narration week, which is really where I'm, I'm focusing my effort on a lot of stuff at the moment. Mm. We're still working through submissions, submittees who are pestering us. I mean, asking us when we're going to uh, give them an answer or not. Um, it's going to be a long-term process. I can't see us finishing before Christmas. To be no, honest, it is very the... difficult because I do understand that, that you know, that it's a dream to a lot of people to have yeah, a publishing absolutely, project. absolutely, 100%. And, and they want to know, but there's only, I can only read as fast as I can. And I am reading quite fast. I've managed to read um, half a book in a week. 
So. Yeah, I mean, the other thing <laughs> is we have actually got books that we're having to publish, we, 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 pub, we are publishing, should we put it that way, and that we are having, between us, we're reading mm. as well to, you know, this isn't proofreading, this is just making sure that what, we, what we're publishing next year yeah, is so, what we're after. So, so our existing authors, they will send us a second or third book, and the first thing we do is read it because, you know, they want some structural feedback from us as well, yeah, don't absolutely. they? So. Yeah, no, so <laughs> there's an awful lot involved, and that takes a... I mean, I'm a slow reader. I really am. I, mean, I used to admire people who can knock off a book in a day, but that, <laughs> it takes me a week, you know, and that's concentrated effort from me. Um, and so, yeah, it's a slow process, and therefore a lot of people are waiting for verdicts from us. Yeah, and it so won't, it won't, please bear won't with us a little bit longer. Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> and we've got birthdays this week as well. Uh, and I'm going to a funeral later in the week, which is very sad for um, the son of one of uh, some friends of mine uh, from our my former village in Cambridgeshire. Uh, their 19-year-old son passed away with, with cancer um, last week. So funeral is this coming Friday. Um, I mean, it's, you know, words fail me, really. When you've got boys of that age... And I've got one who's turning 18 this week. Exactly. And... It really hits home. Mm. Very, very sad. So, you know, uh, to, to the um, Helen and John and the rest of the family, we're very sorry about David. Um, don't wish to finish on a downer, but no, uh, no. But you know that it, that's another thing you've got to fit in. You know the, the other aspects of life. But the fact is that we wake up and think books. We, <laughs> we make books. We plot, launch campaigns for books. Yeah, it's it's we what we books. we <laughs> we do and um, dream it as well. I'm often working in oh, my sleep. Last night I was dreaming about books. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's healthy <laughs> sometimes, but uh, that's what we do. So this has been Hopcast, show number 44, with Linda Huber as our guest. Uh, next week, who do we have? Next week, we are talking to a lovely lady who lives in Suffolk. Lynn LaVersha. Lynn LaVersha, indeed, because her book is coming out the following Tuesday. Looking forward to that. Blood Notes. So we're very much looking forward to talking to Lynn about that. And... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So another big Hobbit release of Blood Notes to come and our guest will be Lynn Laversha, so we look forward to that. Well, thank you for joining us on the Hobcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please don't forget to go to our website, www.hobeck.net, where you can find, well, everything you ever want to know about us, the books, <laughs> the audiobooks, the blogs. But anything else, just Google it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which doesn't have a capital G, by the way, when it's a verb. Uh, will you leave it? Um <laughs> And also, don't forget to subscribe, if you could put up with it, uh, to the podcast, wherever you get it from, uh, the more the merrier. Uh, we're always grateful for every subscriber to the podcast. But uh, for me, Adrian Hobart. And me, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful, peaceful and, above all, creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit